let's just dive in. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, actually, let me back up. I was asked to speak today, and uh, as you know, Matt's kind of taking a break, a much-deserved break. And uh, I'll tell you, following up to Madison, <laughs> Pastor Costin, Jim Simons, who's given us a two-part so far series, and Mary Lee, that's, that's kind of challenging. I mean, the bar is high for me. So I'm going to do my best, but there's been something that's really, really been on my mind. And uh, I'm going to kind of use those of you that don't know me, which are probably very few. I, I tend to try to get to know everyone, but the um, more prejudice than you think. So we're going to talk about prejudice and racism today. And I know it's not <laughs> the most comfortable thing for a lot of us to talk about, but I think it's important. I think we need to talk about it. I don't think you really change anything without open, frank, certainly... Um, humble discussions because there's so much hurt attached to racism in particular but I'm going to start with this is my father so you guys know I love to talk about my family and I was blessed to have a great family and a great support system but this is Don Farlow and I was probably about four or five years old in this picture and um, I was adopted so I hit the lottery when I ended up with awesome Christian parents. But um, this picture was taken at my mother's, um, or my grandparents' house on my, on my mother's side. And my, um, my father, I want to share a little bit about how he grew up. He grew up on a farm. And his day, he actually had, there were six siblings. And then obviously the two parents. So there were eight people in the household. And the house they, that he was born in, actually, was 800 square feet. <laughs> and periodically, the more children that were born, the more they would build on. They'd add a porch, or then they'd add a second bedroom. But needless to say, it was tight. You know, everyone was kind of on top of each other. He slept in the bed with three other siblings, um, and his days consisted of getting up at 5 a.m. from probably the time that he could do chores until the time he moved out. He would get up at 5 a.m. He, he didn't have a bike. They couldn't afford bicycles, but he had a satchel, and he would deliver papers. And his route would consist of about three-quarters of a mile. So he'd go out, deliver these papers. Then he would walk down to the field where they had cows, calves, goats, chickens, and pigs, and he would take care of his chores. He'd have to feed them. Uh, he'd cut wood a lot of times in the winter for heat, but um, I asked him one time, I was like, Dad, that had to be miserable, man. Like, that had to be awful. He was like, no, man, it was like an escape because I could get out. I could be by myself. I could enjoy nature. He loved animals. He loved to work with his hands. Um, I was looking at it from a perspective like, that's a lot of work at 5 a.m. And then he'd have to come back after he'd done all of his chores and help get his brothers and sisters ready for school and take them to the bus stop and they'd hop on the bus and there they go. So, but the key thing is he came from very like, very simple, simple times and his family didn't have any money. They didn't have a car. Um, but he told me some things that really like left an impression on me that 
During those times, that's when, and he went to church, obviously his family was, they were in church every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Um, but God was talking to him. And he said he got, those, those times were when he really, really got close to God and he just listened. And that's kind of a powerful thing. But keep in mind now, he's, he's never been exposed to racism on any level. In fact, he had never been exposed to any people of color. He was surrounded. He wasn't, actually, he, there was no one that lived within about a mile of, of the farm. But he had never gone more than 16 miles from where he lived. So as he, he got saved at 14 at a camp meeting, a Southern Methodist camp meeting, he accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And uh, when I say he was all in, I know him. I, he was all in. There was no doubt. And I'm sure he stumbled. I'm sure he struggled. He was not perfect. Um, but when he accepted Christ, it changed his life, changed his thinking. So as he's battling with something that probably most of us have never had to battle with, there was one commandment that really he was hung up on. And you got to think about in 19... Don't quote me on these dates, but I think the Korean War was 1950 19, through like 1953, and then the Vietnam War was something like 56, but the Vietnam War, which a lot of people don't know, went on for 20 years. So he was right in that time frame. He was born in 34, so he's basically right in that time frame to get drafted. So his struggle was, if I get drafted, what am I going to do if I'm ordered to kill somebody? And I think we all have different feelings about that. And I don't really know what the answer to that is. If you're called to serve and is it, does God hold it against you if you kill? Uh, I, think the, I think the King James Version is thou shalt not kill. And the NIV Version is thou shalt not murder. And I think those are actually two different things. But that's not mince words. Anyway, he struggled with this. And so... He started to pray about it, pray and pray, and he was worried, and he was like, you know, I'm coming up on that age that and everyone's talking around about everyone's going to get drafted. So at some point, God just started talking to him and said, you know, join the National Guard. And I've kind of felt different ways about that before. It's like, you know, was he dodging? No, I don't think he was dodging at all. My father was not, he was a strong man. He was not afraid to go fight. He wasn't afraid to lose his life for his country. But he wanted to do everything he could, and God had impressed on him that do everything you can so you don't have to make that decision. And you could be a service to me and to your country by serving in the National Guard. So that's what he did. This is him shortly after he got his first uniform. I'm sure he was proud. But boy, was he exposed to a whole new world. The farm, <laughs> the farm was long gone, and he actually, um, one of his first deployments, uh, my grandfather, his dad, and the pastor, their pastor, dropped him off at High Point um, at the bus stop, and he got on a bus that was jam-packed with other men and went to Fort Bragg. And so it begins, and it's interesting because, you know, you think about, like, everything that he had seen, what he was used to, what he liked, um, it was kind of, it was, it was shocking for him. So 
I put this clip in there. This is not an actual photograph from my father's unit, but my dad loved the military. He loved the discipline. He loved the food. He loved everything about the military. He loved the opportunity. I mean, you're talking about a guy that maybe had a 20-gauge shotgun that was in the family and hunted with his dad and his brother, but he could have never been able to shoot rifles and shoot machine guns and be trained, professionally trained, nevertheless shoot guns like this. But this is what he really excelled at. He really understood math. He understood maps. He learned it. They gave him the responsibility. He ended up being a leader of the heavy artillery, which they would pull with trucks. But <clears throat> quick story that's not funny, but it's interesting. One time he was the lead guy and he put the coordinates in, they shot it. Then he realized that he shot it backwards. <laughs> and I'm sure he wasn't the first one to do that. And they, they certainly put him in areas where should that happen, there's no consequence. But his punishment was he had to run five miles and he had to do 200 push-ups to teach him a lesson that that's how critical it is that these coordinates are correct. So this is his unit, and actually, you'll see circled at the bottom, that's my dad, and uh, I'll get to who the top right individual is, but here's the thing, this is important. So one of the things that bothered my dad the most about the military, other than just the language, the drinking, the smoking, all those different things, was when he would get on a bus and they would take him off for these exercises, he didn't, he, didn't know, he didn't even know, like, why are all the people of color, black people, why do they all have to sit on the back of the bus? That's odd. Like, is it just to keep, is it like, he really thought that was team building. Like, <laughs> let's keep them together. Let's keep these people together. But it bothered him. Well, then when he found out that they weren't allowed to integrate on a, on a, on a public bus or on a military bus, so it gets worse. They, they go out, they stop at a grocery, I mean, a uh, convenience store to get a pack of nabs or to get some drink or snack or get water or use the bathroom. All of a sudden, he's like, why do these guys have to drink out of these? This is just a, 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 an image as reference, but they had to drink out of a spigot. Like, why can they not drink out of a water fountain? had to use the bathroom in the woods. So he was really struggling with that. And for a long time, he said nothing because he thought, you know what? I don't, I don't understand the reasons why, but I guess if that's the law, then who am I to really say anything? So as time moves on, <laughs> he's still wondering, like, this doesn't seem right. He started to realize that People see color, and there's probably, you guys have probably heard me, certainly if you're in my Sabbath school class, you've heard us say this, is you know, people that say, I don't see color. I mean, I have a problem with that, because we all see color. I guess the important question is, what do you see? Do you predetermine in your mind what someone's about based on the color of their skin? And it goes beyond just the color of skin. It goes to their income level how they're dressed. And you got a guy up here talking at a church wearing a hat and crazy looking shoes. So judging people is a big problem. Now, 
I want to be fully transparent. We all have prejudice. I have prejudice. But I will say that we all make an impression and we all have a perception. So I think there's equal responsibility in how do you present yourself? What's your impression? What's important to you with how the impression that you make? And then on the flip side, is my perception basically a final perception? Do I give everyone equal opportunity to show me their character, show me what they are? And more importantly, am I willing to help them if they're in need? But one of the greatest problems in society is people do not feel their true value and self-worth. And that's what this children's thing was about today. So we have to do a better job in not only sharing the love of Christ, but building one another up. And, you know, in thinking about, we, we all know slavery and oppression and marginalizing groups of people. It's been since the beginning of time. Since there were enough people to be marginalized, it's been going on. And then you say, why? The reason why, I guess you could technically say, yes, sin and, the, and Satan and all those things. No, a lot of it is just greed and oppression. I want to oppress you to build myself up. Anyone here ever work with somebody that wants to put everybody else down to lift themselves up? Yeah, I see a few hands. I think we all have because it's the quickest and easiest way for someone to feel better about themselves. So I think the prejudice part that I put this graphic up because it was kind of the best thing I found is this is reality. We do see these things, but what do we do? What do we do? Are we fair? Do we see beauty? Do we see variety? Are we fascinated at another person's culture or their ideas? Do we listen? Do we talk? Or do we just say, you know what? I'm uncomfortable. This person's different than me, so let me like avoid them at all cost. And I can tell you that I know a lot a lot of mainstream white people that I truly do not believe are racist. But they do not want to talk about it. They do not feel like they actually are in denial. It doesn't exist. It's made up. People are too sensitive. That's part of the reason the video earlier, it's real. And holding groups of people back for whatever reason whether you're blue, green, black, red, it's just not Christian, and it's not fair, and it's a big problem in our society. And we could go even further with, you know, women in the workplace. I can just tell you, I mean, I know women right now that do twice the job of counterparts, and they're paid half the salary. It's, it's real. So, Part of what my goal today was is to talk about what does prejudice look like and it's not to condemn or, or, or necessarily convict anyone that, wow, I need to take a look. But we all need to evaluate it. So these examples I thought were pretty good. You know, you think about <clears throat> what it looks like. That's a great example. There's like a, a block 
<laughs> it was like a, a, a roadblock in between these one, two, three, four, five, six things. And why? Because one's a different color. This one's interesting that a lot of times groups will form together against one. So in other words, like, let's all the, and it doesn't necessarily have to be white versus black or Latino versus, you know, Asian or any of those things. But groups, a lot of people that have these thoughts, they'll come together. Well, it gets even worse. Sometimes they'll attack one. So they don't just stay together, they surround and again, oppress and marginalize. Hatred. So let's talk a little bit about prejudice. There are differences in prejudice and racism. I said I, I have prejudice in me. I was born with it. We're all born with it. We see, you know, whether it's, wow, you know, that person has long hair. So they must be some type of rock, some kind of rock star or something. That's, that's human nature. We will, we will, recognize and identify with certain peoples and we are drawn to some people more than we are to others and you know what as long as it's in Christ there's nothing wrong with that but let's go through this a preconceived opinion of another person not based on reason or experience can be positive or negative you can have positive prejudice some but not all are racial in nature and have racist outcomes unlikely to impact people as negatively as racism so then we move to the racism which is really ugly Belief that race is equated with particular traits. Wow, you're a certain color, so you must, you must not be very intelligent. Or you're a certain color, and you must be like an incredible athlete. But that's all you can do. You're just strong, and you're an athlete. Or you know what? You're Jewish, so you must just be a great business person. You're Asian, so you must be good at math. <laughs> Belief that some races are superior to others. Now, we could get into that. That's a whole other thing is, you know, how in the world <laughs> would one race be superior when God created us all? That makes zero sense. All that is, is I need to, I'm, I'm greedy. My people need to be above your people. I need to oppress you. And I'll do anything and everything to make that happen. I will beat you. I will take you from another country. I will hold you in slavery for 400 years, just like the children of Israel. And it's validated. I'm off the hook. I'm entitled to this. Results in an unequal distribution of power on the basis of race. So as we kind of go through this, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I love this statement. If we have set up distinctions within our hearts and minds about one another, even without intending to, God calls us to make it right with him. So one of the biggest things we need to do is look at ourselves. And when we, have we, we introduce ourselves to someone or we look at a group of people or look at an individual, what do we see? Do you see an opportunity for a brother or a sister to make a connection and to help them and support them? Then we'll go to some scripture, which I can say all the things I want to say, but scripture backs up everything I've said today. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin or convicted by the law of transgressors, James 2, 9. And those of you that read James and have read James, James uses a lot of harsh language. Very stern, very direct, 
but I love James because I think it actually exposes and it also convicts. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think that's one of the most critical. If you don't walk away from today's kind of like message or uh, our discussion with anything, it's not up to you to judge the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We look at actions. We look at, at, at appearance. We look at income level. We look at, is that person, that person didn't talk to me, so I'm not going to talk to them. I mean, there are people, I'm going to back up. Anybody here ever been to a perfect church? I don't see any hands, and that's good, because there is no perfect church. And I would challenge you, if you leave Taft or you visit another church, and you find that perfect church, I need you to call me. And I mean, anytime, day or night, call me. Let me know where it is. Not so that I'll go. I'll never step a foot in that church because it's a fraud. There is no perfect church. A church is only as good as its parts. And we all have to do our best and let God lead us. And there are always going to be people that attack you unfairly. And my challenge would be, let God look at the heart. It's not up to you to convict people. <laughs> It's, it's up to you to show how you've been convicted in your life by your actions. I love this one too. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now that tells me everything I need to know. It doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter if you speak well. It doesn't matter if you're more comfortable sitting in the audience or you're more comfortable getting up here. It doesn't matter if you play a guitar. The Lord is the maker of them all. This is a great one too. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And that's Romans 12, 3. Another good one, kind of on a roll, but faith without action is dead. We need to constantly step back and examine if our lives and actions really reflect what we believe. Do your actions align with what you believe? Do your actions align with what you say? Do your actions align with today's Sabbath? I'm going to church and I want to see all, I want to surround myself with all the people that I care about. And then you get to Sabbath at the church and you're around the same 14 people every single week. Is that, does that align? I don't think so. Even so, faith, if he hath not works, is dead being alone. So I love that image. I thought the image was really great. You can certainly find a lot of incredible images online that kind of will visually show you how we should be and how we should look. 
But I'm going to kind of like close out with the last thing I wanted to touch on was, ironically, at the end of my father's last term in the National Guard, there was always one soldier recognized as Soldier of the Year. And I didn't really make it to it, but I'll, I'll touch on it real brief. We have five minutes, but... So my father, the gentleman that was in the... Let me go back to it. This is awesome. The gentleman that was in the picture of his unit, his name is William Anderson in the back. And obviously... My father formed a friendship with him, and he stood up for him and stood up for all of the other people of color in his unit. And in some ways, it wasn't a wise choice because you think he wasn't really happy with the camaraderie. He was picked on mercilessly. He was attacked many occasions. He was punished in terms of he would do all the things he was supposed to do to his bunk, get everything like just right. He was a good soldier. And then somebody would come in behind him and mess it up. So he'd have to go run or do push-ups. And I guarantee you the only reason he did it was he could not stand the hatred. He, couldn't, he didn't feel it was fair. And then to find out, what did he and William Anderson have in common? They both grew up on a farm. They both had large families. And they were both, wait for it, Christians. They supported one another. They helped each other. And back to the each, end of each term, there was a soldier that was voted on as the soldier of the year. Well, in 1958, my father won that. And it's probably the only trophy he won or recognition he ever got in his whole life outside of something that was church-related. You know, he, he would get plaques for like Father of the Year and things like that. But outside of, I don't know that he ever won a trophy in sports. And growing up as a kid, actually it was kind of odd to see this like trophy. And I should have taken a picture of it. It's about this tall. It has a soldier at the top. It has four eagles that are around the base of the column. And obviously it says SP-8, which was my dad's unit. It says Outstanding Soldier of the Year, 1958, Donald Ray Farlow. And as kids, we would see it and we'd be like, Dad, wow, you know, you must have been like this awesome soldier. And the weird thing was he would beam up when he would talk about it. And I never knew it until after he passed away. And I was talking to Mom and... One, one time when she was actually in the nursing home and I talked about the trophy and I actually, it was one of the things, it was the first thing I went for when my brother and I were splitting everything up was I want that trophy. But he beamed about it. And the reason he beamed about it, he was awarded that based on the vote of his peers. So these same people that made his life miserable, that attacked him, when it came down to it, who was a good soldier who was a good man. He had earned that. He could care less if it would have been given to him by his superiors. But the fact that the same people that he had love for, even when they were attacking him, even when it wasn't easy, the fact that he won that award makes that thing, it made it really mean something to him that God helped me through it. And I'm going to take the high road 
And I'm going to show love for those around me. So let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you would give each of us more humility, more empathy, more understanding, and just that we would, when we see those that see them in a different light, we just pray that we could see the same beauty that you see when you see them, you saw when you created them, and we just ask that you would help us to be more open, more transparent, that we would talk about these things, that we would support one another, help each other. That's what we are here to do. And we just pray, dear Lord, that you would impress upon our hearts to show more love, because without your love, none of us are anything. And I think if we just continue to talk to one another and to listen and to be mindful and understanding of those around us. Your name can be glorified because without that, we cannot glorify your name. We pray that you just bless the rest of our time together, bless our food that we're about to partake of, bless the hands that prepared it, and we just thank you for this time together. Thank you for all these beautiful people, and we thank you for the opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.